You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. So if you don't know who David Copperfield is and you haven't listened to the last episode yet, I want you to read about him before you listen to the episode and hopefully you'll find my opening monologue funny instead of just being confused. And to avoid even further confusion, I'm talking about the famous Las Vegas magician and not the Charles Dickens character. And even though Dr. Luke Maxfield had no idea who David Copperfield was, he still loved the introduction, and I love speaking with him about transitioning from resident to attending. Not only did we get some super helpful tips to make this transition successful, we got a little philosophical towards the end, where Dr. Maxfield reminded us to not wait until the end of your residency to do the things you want to do in life. When you graduate, you have a little bit more money, and hopefully a lot more money, but you won't get those years of your life back. It reminds me of my favorite quote by Benjamin Franklin, lost time is never found again. So like I said last episode, if you want to do something with your life, now is the time. Don't hold out because you are waiting to finish residency. So I'm going to stop wasting time now and jump into this episode. It's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Jacqueline Fisher to Cutaneous Miscellaneous. Hi, it's so great to be here. It's really fabulous to have you on as a guest. Dr. Fisher, let's get started. We're going to talk about rosacea, do a little board review on that, and then we'll jump into the main portion. So I'll do a little bit on rosacea. I want to ask you about the rosacea variants. So rosacea, we usually see it in skin types one and two, but it's also seen in skin of color patients too, darker skin tones. I've seen it in those patients, so don't forget about that. It's a vascular inflammatory disorder, but it's multifactorial, and it's thought that some vascular hyperreactivity and even an association with Demodex can cause this disorder. It's usually limited to the central face, and the treatments are avoiding triggers like sunlight, heat and cold, stress, strong emotions, alcohol, spicy foods. We have topical therapies, uh, one we use very often, topical metronidazole, azelaic acid, BP wash, clinda. Sometimes we need systemic therapies such as tetracyclines, isotretinone if severe, and there's energy-based devices as well, such as IPL and PDL. So the rosacea subtypes, the first one is erythmotelangiectatic, and don't make me say that five times fast, please, but this is a more of a vascular subtype. It's central face with recurrent flushing, blushing that eventually becomes permanent. Patients have burning, stinging sensation. It's irritated skin, and they sometimes can have edema, and you're probably going to see some telangiectasias. Next is papulopustular. This is the inflammatory type. It's kind of similar to acne vulgaris, but the most important thing is there's no comedones. There's persistent facial erythema, and patients get this transient papules and pustules kind of on the nose and malar regions mostly. We have phimatis, which is thickening of the skin due to the overgrowth of sebaceous glands. Most commonly on the nose, it's rhinophyma. It can involve the chin, nathophyma, the forehead, metophyma, earlobes, otophyma, and the eyelids, blephlophyma. Finally, ocular. Patients have dryness, foreign body sensation in their eyes. They get photosensitive. They have some burning and stinging. And the most important thing here is you're going to want to treat with doxy or minnow. You have to give a uh, systemic therapy. If the question comes up and it's ocularization and you pick topical therapy, you just lost 5% right there. So don't forget that. So Dr. Fisher, I know you're a rosacea expert. You see a lot of rosacea. Can we talk about the variants? And the first one I want to ask about is Morbihan disease. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Morbihan disease or solid facial edema and rosacea, uh, this is one of unknown etiology. It's thought that possibly it's a result of chronic inflammation that then leads to obstruction of lymph vessels or fibrosis. Uh, but it's characterized by hard non-pitting swelling of the forehead, glabella, nose, and cheeks. And it may be more pronounced during the early morning hours. Um, so spontaneous resolution does not occur in this disease. And the treatment of choice is isotretinoin plus or minus catopatin, which is an antihistamine. Excellent. I've seen this a couple of times and the patients have responded very well isotretinoin. The next one I want to ask you about is pyoderma faciale. Absolutely. So this one I do see in clinic from time to time. Um, I've seen it in in women, and it's usually in women in their 20s to 30s. Uh, and it's rapid onset of intensely inflamed uh, nodules and cysts. And, and you want to look for that background of dark red to cyanotic erythema. Um, this is, again, affects the centrofacial region, uh, no involvement elsewhere, and no comedones. And that's what differentiates it from the acne fulminans. Uh, but most do develop scarring. Uh, also of note is they can have a low-grade fever, myalgias, and you might even see leukocytosis and an elevated ESR on their lab work. Um, so treatment is prednisone, a slow taper, and uh, usually add on isotretinoin too. Excellent. Just want to hammer that point home that there's no comedones, and I think that's a very popular board question versus acne fulminans. Next is granulomatous rosacea. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So this is another one I will see in clinic. Um, it does tend to affect middle-aged women. And you'll notice discrete yellow, brown to red, firm papules or nodules. And also kind of a background of just diffusely reddened, thickened skin, usually in a butterfly distribution. But you can have uh, distribution as well on the periphery of the face in the perioral areas. Uh, so kind of a board review, derm path question. Uh, it can look uh, like non-caseating epithelioid granulomas resembling sarcoidosis. And treatment of choice is, again, isotretinoin and uh, tetracyclines. Right, exactly. This is a really a true CPC. You look at the pathology, you see the non-caseating granulomas. It looks like sarcoid, but the patient really has rosacea, so you have to put that together. Finally, I want to ask about this uh, variant lupus miliaris dissemitis facii, which tricks all the medical students because they think it has to, involves lupus, but obviously it's not the case. Right. So want to ask about this too. <laughs> yes, it can be. The name is misleading, but um, you will see lupus miliaris in uh, young adults, uh, more common in Asians, especially of Japanese descent. Uh, you'll note uh, smooth, firm, yellow-brown to red monomorphous papules. And you can see this in the butterfly um, distribution of rosacea, but also laterally and even below the mandible and periorificially too. Uh, so big board review is a uh, question could be um, eyelid skin involvement. It's That's the characteristic for this and it does heal with scarring. So treatment is difficult, but I would definitely try isotretinoin and tetracyclines to start off with. Awesome. That was a great review of our old friend rosacea, which every dermatologist and dermatology resident better be super familiar with because you're going to see it all day long in any dermatology clinic. So Dr. Fisher, one more thing, uh, not really board review, but about rosacea. And I need some help with rosacea because when I tell my patients what causes rosacea, when they ask, I say, well, it's vascular, it's inflammatory. There's these demodex mites that are all over your face. They look at me like I have five heads. So how do I counsel patients on what rosacea is and not sound like I have no idea what I'm talking about? I, I understand. So um, I see a lot of rosacea in the clinic. Uh, and it's I first and foremost, I like to tell patients, you know, this is a common skin condition. Uh, I have oftentimes I have patients come in and 
um, they're they're worried. They they don't know exactly what this is. They're worried that there's an internal disease happening or some horrible autoimmune process. So I like to start off reassuring them that this is a common skin condition. Uh, I also like to set patient expectations. So it is a lifelong issue. We do not have a cure for it. However, I'm here to help manage that. And there are definitely ways we can improve the disease. And so as far as explaining why, because everybody you know wants to know why, I find that people respond very well to the word inflammation. So I will usually counsel them that this is inflammation around blood vessels in the skin. And that can lead to prolonged dilation of the blood vessels. It can lead to new formation of blood vessels. And the skin doesn't like inflammation. So that can cause uh, things like acne, like inflammatory bumps and skin texture changes. And most of the time I get the head nod and that is my cue to proceed to, to more of treatment and management discussion with them. That was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, um, I've honed that in over the years. So I, I'm, I hope that helps somebody who's listening. Uh, and then I do talk about triggers because I like to uh, help people feel like they're an active participant in their treatment. And I find um, speaking about common triggers like sun protection and, you know, foods and alcohol and things, uh, people can take some ownership and feel like they have some control over the disease. And they like that, too. Well, thank you for making my job so much easier. I wish I talked to you like a year ago uh, for the past year in residency. It was been pretty difficult when a rosacea patient came in and I got very flustered, but I think tomorrow I'll go in and be a lot more confident. So awesome. Great discussion about rosacea, board review, and uh, how to talk to the patients in the clinic. But I want to jump into the main part of the episode. We're going to talk about branding. And I don't know much about branding, so I looked it up in the dictionary and it, the definition here is... Uh, the action of marking with a branding iron. And I thought to myself, well, that's not very helpful to, to dermatology, resident dermatologists. But I realized there's a second definition, which is the promotion of a particular product or company by means of advertising and distinctive design. So that's the branding we're going to talk about. I don't want you or anybody else to get confused. And uh, first thing I want to ask is how important is branding in dermatology versus other medical specialties? And how are branding and marketing different? Great questions. So branding, I think, is important no matter what area of medicine that you practice. Branding is so much more than a, just a logo. It's really the image that you're projecting to potential patients. It should convey who you are and what you believe in. So therefore, I think it's important for all doctors to have a, a solid brand identity that conveys their message, mission, and values to patients. As far as kind of my definition of branding and how that differs from marketing, marketing. Um, so I look at brand as acting as an interface between a business and people. So it aligns a business's story and actions with the values, needs, and desires of any person who sees it. So it's truly, it's who you are. It's, it's um, your mission, your message, what you believe in. And then this brand identity can help to build trust in a person that, you know, you are in fact the best choice as a dermatologist for them. Uh, marketing to me, on the other hand, I look at marketing actually as being more of the promoting and advertising of your brand and your business. And there's lots of different mediums that you can use, you know, social media, flyers, online reviews, um, products, and all those types of things, I think, help with promoting and advertising your brand. Awesome. So branding is kind of what sets you apart from your colleagues. And then marketing is a way to get your brand out there. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, what's the difference between brand message and brand identity? Because that's those are important distinctions. 
Right. Well, so uh, the brand identity, I would say, is how the company portrays itself to its its patients and its customers and how the brand wants the customers to perceive it. So when I started my own dermatology private practice, and it's called Cincy Skin Medical and Cosmetic Dermatology in Cincinnati, Ohio. So when I started this um, company, I worked with a brand designer and I learned through that that there are four elements to a brand identity. So you have your primary identity, which is your logo, and then you have a primary color palette, and then you also have topography or the font that represents your brand. Uh, And then lastly, uh, there is this graphic element, uh, which we term as the mark. I think of it like if you think of Nike, um, you know, you see the swoosh. You don't even need to see the word Nike anymore. You see the swoosh, that's their mark, and you know exactly, you know, what business and brand this is. Um, So brand messaging, on the other hand, is an attempt to use Uh, kind of strategic, persuasive, concise statements to communicate a company's core value to their target audience. So in the example of Nike, it's like, just do it. That's their slogan, their their concise, persuasive statement that everybody has come to, you know, recognize and identify Nike with that. Awesome. Yeah. Branding is so important. And obviously in every medical specialty, it's important. But I think in dermatology, it's even a little bit more important because patients come into these offices, their skincare products, they feel like they may be going into like a Sephora or a CVS. And they, they kind of want that bespoke experience, that kind of branded special experience, like almost like a retail type shop. And, you know, dermatology, we treat skin disease, whether it's cosmetic or medical, and there's an end result and they want their skin to look normal again. There's a, there's a beauty component to everything that we do. So patients want to have that sort of feeling. And I think that makes dermatology a little bit more special in, in that respect. And I want to ask you, Dr. Fisher, you know, it seems like you know a lot about this and you've kind of built your own practice. What are your thoughts on hiring a professional PR firm to build your brand or parts of your brand versus just doing it yourself? How important do you think that really is to make sure you do a good job doing this? Yes, I think it's hugely important. I highly recommend considering working with a brand designer. Um, It doesn't even have to be like a a big firm, but just somebody who is trained to take your concept, goals, the vision of your practice, and then help you to mold those ideas into a brand identity. I think it's well worth the investment. Um, I could share a a short personal story with you. Um, So my husband owns a business as well in, um, in Cincinnati. And so he started that over 10 years ago and he started with just, just a logo and, and a name, right? And then over time, uh, once we were married, I got to witness and actually be a part of stepping that up a notch and, and forming a brand. And so watching that process and watching it elevate his business and re-energize it and really take it to a whole new level, I knew when I started uh, my dermatology practice that that was hands down the way to go. Excellent. So you mentioned getting your brand together. Once you started your practice, obviously you're done the residency. Are there things residents can do to start building their brand while they're residents or is it kind of impossible because they're not really working yet? Right. Um, so that's a great question. You know, I think as a resident, what I would recommend doing is really just taking in as much as you can. And, you know, we, we're so focused on studying for the boards and, and, of course, you know, learning how to diagnose correctly and treat, and those are great. But, you know, take in whatever practice elements you're exposed to, uh, really internalize that. So I was very fortunate to work in a variety of practice settings. And a lot of 
private practice settings during my medical school internship and in my residency. And so I, I feel like that helped me over time to figure out, you know, who I am as a doctor and as a dermatologist and what I envision, you know, for my future. Um, and I think that that is something, you know, as a resident, you know, just soak in those experiences because it will help to shape and mold you and, and it will help to form that vision and therefore your brand identity, you know, over time. Right. We talked about how branding is so important in every medical specialty. You mentioned working in private practices. So is branding in dermatology, the concept of branding, important for both private practice and let's say academic dermatologists? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Because, you know, when when you're in either setting, you, you want to have a clear idea of your mission, your goals, how you want to practice the type of patient demographic you want, uh, what procedures you want to do. Um, the benefit, though, of being in private practice when you own it is that you truly get to determine every element of that brand identity. And if you want something to change, you change it. I think what can be a little difficult call. And this is speaking from myself when I was employed at a hospital system before too. So I have experience being employed uh, before starting my practice. And I think it can be a little more difficult because every every company, a hospital, is they're going to have their brand identity themselves. They, they do. And you work under that. And so it can be a little difficult to, if it doesn't quite align with maybe some of your goals and your vision, uh, to, you know, to work uh, under that. But I think it, it's important um, in no matter what sector of dermatology you practice in. Awesome. And every dermatologist has a website. Obviously, if you're in private practice, it's really important to get new patients and to attract business. So can you tell me about some tips or give me some tips on your website, creating your website and tailoring your website to help get your brand across? Absolutely. So um, after you choose your practice name and you've created your brand identity, I highly recommend selecting your website domain name. So I went to GoDaddy and I just searched, uh, you know, the names that were available. Uh, I will say that sometimes pop anticipated popular names will be um, taken and sometimes people do that to make a profit off of them. So I think it's worth your time to get a little creative uh, because you really shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for your name if possible. Uh, so if you get a little creative and you know you can find a domain name that's very affordable for you. And then I also secured a couple other domain names that were closely related to mine. So that way somebody couldn't you know, take something similar. And then once you have that domain name, it's time to build your website. And I highly recommend you know, doing that, get it up and running as soon as possible. Uh, you want to make sure you have a fast loading website, you know, one that's very mobile device friendly. Um, and then, you know, you just need to get some basic information on there, the name of your practice, your logo, location, hours of operation, how they could can reach you. And the one of the biggest things that I did that that was super helpful um, is I put that website up fast and then I had an online appointment request feature uh, and that linked in with my my EMR that I use. And so I would have I had a you know people scheduling four or five months in advance before my doors even opened, before I had even had, you know, any equipment in in the office or anything. Um, you're probably just putting drywall up at that point. And uh, but that was super important because when people go on Google and they search dermatologists in Cincinnati, Ohio, you have a website they can go to and and they can start to, you know, to get on the books. Yeah, that's such a great point. A little thing like that, having your EMR linked to the 
scheduling function on your website, all of a sudden, within a few minutes, you could have you know, patients book six months out because everyone mm-hmm. wants to get into dermatology. So little things like that are, are really helpful. And it's funny you mentioned about domain names. Uh, it reminds me of a story. My friend in high school, he owned 1-800-Painters.com. I don't know how he <laughs> got that domain name, but his whole business was having painters rent out this domain name. And obviously you Google this you go online and you want to find a painter, that's the place you're going to go. So again, I don't know how he had that domain name, but you're right. Find your domain name, Get a couple of uh, ancillary domain names or maybe domain names you want, might want in the future so you can have them. And if you own them, then you can rent that out as a business if somebody wants to uh, to use that. So, Dr. Fisher, a couple more questions. Can you give me just a couple of maybe pearls and pitfalls along um, your journey of building your brand? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the first thing I would talk about really is, again, kind of highly recommend working with a brand designer. So, uh, you know, you want to think about kind of why you chose to build your own practice in the first place. So for me, it was my desire to kind of own my own practice that emerged from both life experiences, career experiences, as well as just having an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and, And I had mentioned before, I was I was lucky to have been exposed to several different types of private practice settings in the past. And so I really kind of used all of those experiences to mold my vision, uh, which in turn molded my, uh, my brand identity. Uh, and so then working with a brand designer, I would say choose wisely. So do your research, um, see if somebody's aesthetic it matches what your aesthetic, what you, what you want that to be. Um, but it was an excellent experience. I mean, I filled out this several page client worksheet and they really had you dig deep to get, to kind of get a deeper understanding of myself, the nature of the brand. Um, and that then inspired, you know, verbal and and kind of visual creative output. So highly, highly recommend that. And then I also chose, because see, there's so many, there's so many things you have to do to start up your own business. And so when you can, you know, turning to people who are trained, you know, to help you in, in design, I think it only amplifies um, the end result. And so I also chose to work with an interior designer and I picked somebody who I trusted and um, somebody who is uh, kind of trained as well to take a brand identity, incorporate that into the office. So when you walk into my office, so so I should take a step back. My logo has a, um, a Cincy skin and it has a diagonal straight cut line in it. And so when you walk into my office, that element is, is in the lighting. It's in the reception desk. I have sconces down the hallway that have my same color palette and so on and so forth. And um, I still to this day, I I've been open for a year and a half and I get uh, patients who are new to the practice complimenting people with a background in design and marketing and branding, complimenting um, how well it's consistent. And and I think that's important is consistency to build that trust uh, with your patients um, as well. Right. Consistency across the brand is so important. I know you have a great brand. It sounds like you have a great brand. Oh, so r- really appreciate all these tips because this is a, a lecture. Or this is a topic that residents never hear about in their three years of training, but it's very important. And even dermatologists who've been practicing for a while who may be listening, they might have just opened up their practice and started seeing patients, but never really thought about these tips and these ideas, but maybe they want to take it to the next level now and start cultivating their brand. It's never never too late. You could be in practice 10, 20, 30, 40 years you know, to build your brand and uh, it's an exciting thing and make it your own. And it's very important for you and your patients. So again, Dr. Fisher, this has been awesome. But before we go, I got to ask about, uh, I know you're from Ohio, Cincinnati, and I was born in Ohio, but 
I moved when I was one. <laughs> so I don't know really much about it, but I always hear about Grater's ice cream versus Skyline Chili. So I want to hear your thoughts. If anybody's listening that's from Ohio, you know, you could chime in too. So, you know, what's, what's your favorite there? All right. So I, that's, that's a great question. I, I do really like both. Um, for those who don't know, Skyline Chili is kind of like uh, traditionally like a bed of spaghetti with a meat sauce on top and then loaded with a ton of cheddar cheese. It is delicious, but I have a sweet tooth. So for me, Grater's ice cream is, is my top fave. It has, it's just rich and it has these huge chunks of chocolate. Uh, so I, you know, you cannot go wrong. I think most people would choose ice cream and they both sound great, but I would choose ice cream too. And, and lastly, I know you love to travel. So what's your, what's your favorite travel destination these days? Oh gosh. Well, I, I mean, of all time. So my favorite spot is Maui and my actually went on our honeymoon, honeymoon there. And it's, so it's the wildfires going on in Lahaina is just absolutely devastating. I mean, that is such a magical, Lahaina is such a magical place on Maui. Uh, and so, I mean, that's, it's, it's a shame. It's really, really devastating, but that's my top, <laughs> my top place to visit is Maui. I love Hawaii too. I was in Maui years ago and love seeing Lahaina, such a special place, but Maui, the island, as we all know, is still gorgeous, still a great place to go. And very sad what happened there. Of course, everyone's in our thoughts and prayers. And once things get cleaned up, we should all head to, back to Maui and uh, put some money back into the economy there. Cause it's still, it's still a great, pla- great place to go. And there's Maui Durham. So, you know, <laughs> yep. Yep. We've got many conferences there. Yes. <laughs> Looking forward to a winter clinical coming up and uh, yes. it'll be in Maui as well. So Dr. Fisher, thank you again. This has been awesome and really helped out the residents and uh, all the fellows listening who are going to be starting their practices or starting in academics and looking to build their brand. Great. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.